Welcome to Playing Up Parenting with B. Carried. It's great to have you here for another fabulous episode. Before this episode starts, I do just want to put a trigger warning on the episode because I know there will be people who may struggle to listen to the episode. But if you, if that is you, do check out the show notes because we have a couple of um, really great um, support groups and things. So check out the show notes. Um, but we do talk about miscarriage um and that can be something that can be really triggering for people we also talk about santa and how to talk about that with our children and so it might not be the best episode to listen with your kids in the car so before (laughs) i just wanted to get that out there because i know that for some people they might not find this episode very easy to listen to but for others they'll find it really really helpful it's a great episode Ross is both neurodivergent and has chronic illness, so he has a really interesting perspective on parenting. This isn't an expert telling you how to parent, this is somebody telling you what they've been through in their life, and it's such a lovely chat, so please do listen in. I'd also like to remind you to like and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts, leave us a review if you can that would be awesome and tell me what you've what you're finding great about this series or if there's anybody you think would be a great guest for me to host later on this series also don't forget to check out the show notes there's information on there about how you can get in touch with Ross also how you can book on some of my workshops or work with me one-to-one I do love hearing from my my listeners so don't forget to just stay in touch. Enjoy the episode. Firstly, I'd like to say welcome to Ross, who's come to talk to us about his experiences parenting. Um, and Ross, why don't you introduce yourself to us all and tell us a little bit about um, your family, really? Uh, first of all, thank you very much for having me on. Um, I am an autistic author. Um, and human rights activists for the autistic and neurodivergent communities. Um, I'm a father, but to be honest with you, I kind of never expected that to happen. Um, I, I didn't think I would have a wife, didn't think I would have a family. Um, but yeah, they've completely changed my life. So they are definitely part, you know, the best things in my life. It's it's really hard because to be honest with you, I could honestly spend about the next hour telling you how wonderful I think they are, because you know when you when you spend your life thinking that you're never going to have good relationships, you're never going to have that connection, you know you're never going to have the chance to be a dad or anything like that, and then you get given it, and it was really scary to be honest, um, but it's also the most wonderful thing that ever happened to me. That's amazing. And I think most parents are like that, aren't they? You you know, you can easily get into that point where you start talking about your children and it's like, oh, sorry, an hour's gone past and I've just been telling you, like, for example, I just got an email from my little boy does martial arts and I just got it. Well, the whole family does. And he yeah. just, we, I just got an email from them. That's just one of their generic emails because we've got testing sessions coming up and he, it's his photo of him that they've used and it's like I could spend ages just telling you about that and that's how parenting is isn't it that they kind of become a little bit all-encompassing so do you just have one child two five Um, yeah we we were um 
expecting twins and my wife had a silent miscarriage um, and then about 18 months later we found out we were expecting Megan um, and to be honest with you with a mind like mine information like that can be incredibly difficult because I just worried the entire time and not only about you know Megan and what would happen and, and whether you know she'd be born but about my wife as well and you know you read these stories about what happens to women in labour sometimes and how things go wrong and you know my major problem is once I'm aware of something I can't be unaware of that that that's always going to be there um so I literally spent the entire time worrying what was going to happen and you know stressing pretty much every day and every time something happened I mean probably that this is quite common in some ways but um, every time my wife was in pain or anything, it was like massive overreactions on my part because I just panicked that, you know, it took me so long to find her. And I think that that's such a scary thing that, and actually I admire women really deeply for that, that, that you can go into labour and you not know what's going to happen. And in fact, baby is the most important thing. And, you know, it, it it, it's amazing that selflessness, that kind of drive to to bring this child into the world. Um, you know, so I do admire it really deeply. It's just I knew that would be my wife's attitude that if the option came down to you know Megan or her, she would pick Megan every single time because it's just it's the kind of person she is. You know, um, so I think that that caused a lot of stress for me. Um, do you think that was worse because of the silent miscarriage prior to Megan or do you think that would have been the yeah. same e either way oh no hugely so um I didn't know how to handle that I still haven't grieved for that to be honest um I thought I had to be strong I mean I didn't know I was autistic at this time I was still masking and I thought I had to be strong for, for her and her mother actually um because they, they both of them just broke down so I didn't take it on myself at all um there's little moments when I'm watching a tv show or something and it just it hits me just for a few moments and then it kind of goes back down again and you know I don't think I I ever really got a chance to process it because I was just so worried about my wife and if she was okay you know and I knew that she thought about school and all these things that you do and all the plans you make for a life to be lived um, and it just shattered her that all that had gone you know and I think because it was silent miscarriage as well it seems really cruel that you actually are unaware of what's happening um, and I, I struggled with that part I, I didn't know how to support her I didn't know how to help her because for both of us, it just came completely out of the blue and, and she just broke down entirely. Um, yeah, and the way my Did mind you manage worked. to get any support at that point? Was there anybody? I mean, I'm, I'm going to link into the show notes to a charity that I know that's local to me that does amazing work. They're called Joel um, mm. and they do amazing work um supporting families, particularly in that exactly that situation. So where you've mm. had a miscarriage. Um, and then you go on to another pregnancy because there is so much extra anxiety around that second 
yeah. pregnancy and, and it can be more than that as well um multiple miscarriages is isn't uncommon um so i will link into that in the show notes for anybody that, that, that does want some support like that but did you manage to find any support um no i mean i'll, I'll get back to that in a second i was just going to say that one thing that i think is important to mention is that the way an autistic mind works is that thoughts can get trapped in your head and um, that, I mean, that 100% happened to me. And if that was a, a woman that had a, a silent miscarriage, you know, that would be in her head pretty much the whole time she gets pregnant again. And um, that would be a, a big issue trying to keep, you know, just calm and, and just try and keep that thought out of your head, to be honest. Um, I didn't get any support at the time. My wife got a bit of support from friends and work, but... I spent quite an isolated life, so asking for help isn't something I'm really used to. Um, they, they just didn't ever feel like there was somebody there to ask. So it's, you know, I end up dealing with a lot of problems myself just simply because that became commonplace for me, I guess. Um, when, when you can't, I mean, just to give you some background on me um i've been called rude and offensive most of my life and i actually thought my thoughts were rude and offensive so i stopped sharing them i stopped expressing myself i went through long periods of isolation um and it actually kind of felt dangerous having relationships with people because it felt like i just hurt them and that's all i caused was pain i couldn't deal with that um so it turns out it's because autistic and non-autistic people have a shared language, but two completely different ways of communicating. And that that's what the issue was. Um, but it's actually meant that I've only really had conversations with people since about August last year. And that's quite tough. So, you know, all these kind of issues I've faced in my life, it's either been alone or with my wife. There's not really been anyone else because communication wasn't something that came easy to me um just simply because you know there's more non-autistic people in the world than there's autistic people and it's it's not understood enough at the moment in time that that communication issue is accounted for um and that's part of the reason i'm doing what i i do and i became a human rights activist because the amount of pain that causes by constantly being misunderstood. And, you know, the, the words that go through your head is, you know, what just happened? Can somebody explain? Can somebody tell me what's going on? You know, but there's nobody there to tell. There's nobody there to give you that information. Um, so it, it's quite a confusing life being autistic. And I'm hoping to help change that. Um, and especially when it comes to, you know, conversations to do with parenting, to do with, you know, pregnancy and miscarriage and um, I mean just to just kind of push a point here I had a look to find out what information um, uh, like sexual education information was available for the autistic community because I mean the, the, you need a lot of trust you need to be able to feel safe um, and it did take me a long time to find that move with my wife I'll be honest I used to get panic attacks when she went to give me cuddles sometimes because physical contact wasn't something I was used to, um, you know, but th there's nothing. There's there's a lot of things aimed at 
parents to autistic children, but the community doesn't get the resources it needs. And, you know, we are parents, we are, you know, husbands and wives, and we need this, especially if you've had a late, you know, diagnosis, because you've basically spent your entire life without the information you need. And then when you get that and you're like, okay, right, brilliant, I've got this information now, I know I'm autistic, I'll go on and I'll find what I need to be able to help me with problems I'm facing in my life and you find nothing. It's, you know, I think it's very easy to feel that you don't have a place in this world um, just simply because the resources we need aren't there at the moment, you know. Um, there's a lot of information for parents to autistic children, but there's very little information for autistic parents. Um, and especially when you've got an autistic child or a neurodiverse child, because it brings up challenges. I mean, like my daughter, I'm pretty convinced she's got ADHD and I'm trying to, to get her assessed. Um, but she'll go into the, the whole, you know, anxiety spiral and it, it it's so hard for me in that moment because I end up doing exactly the same. You know, my emotions end up crashing and I'm trying to be there for her. I'm trying to not let my sensory issues get in the way and when she's screaming and crying or, you know, really upset. And it's, it's very, very difficult, but she's my daughter and I'm going to find a way to do that. The thing is that with some information from other autistic parents and how they deal with it, it would have been so much easier, you know? But obviously, as you say, you were only diagnosed after she was born, weren't you? Yeah, at 41. Um, so. Yeah. so is there things that you found, um, resources or just general things that you found that help you to be a better parent and I don't mean that in a judgmental way I mean oh, yeah. feel like you're being a better parent I think the truth is that I'm always going to feel unprepared um same with marriage because I just never thought I would have these kind of relationships so you know and just to kind of make a little bit of a point um I put out a post today and it says that there's a quote from a psychologist who says that uh, autistic people don't want social connections, that, that, you know, that's something that our brains are missing and that we're not interested in. We don't get social connections. You know, when you're a child, you're often not shunned by other kids, but you're kept at arm's distance. You don't get a chance to have the same relationships. So, you know, if you end up falling in love with somebody and you end up getting married and you have a child, it's kind of like, oh, hold on a second, you know, I'm not ready for this. I, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and I get that everybody probably feels that to an extent, but I, I was really scared. And at that point, I was still asking myself the question, why my wife loved me? I couldn't figure that out. I, I was made to feel like love wasn't something I was really going to get. Um, so, sorry, I get emotional sometimes, but I get really strong emotions. There's not a lot I can do about that. But yeah, That's I, I, totally fine. That's a normal neurodivergent oh, reactions. Yeah. Um, and, and I think because you've spent so much of your life masking, you, you're now at the point where you're, you're struggling to 
I accept that actually it's fine <laughs> having emotions and it's something that I talk about a lot in parenting generally having yeah. emotions is not a problem how we um how we mend the fences when we break them is more important than breaking than not ever breaking them mm. and actually our children learn so much from modeling and and actually probably even more so those who are neurodivergent because they the rest of society is doing something completely different to them yeah. <laughs> so in oh, some yeah. ways it can be it can be beautiful to see your parents struggle and then I mean, still get up and do it again yeah i don't hide anything from megan um i mean the last time i went on verbal it was three days of watching her well, she got really terrified because um, she couldn't come near me. I couldn't put her to bed. I couldn't get cuddles from her. Nothing. I mean, literally, when I go nonverbal, I'm in so much fear that I, I can't have anybody within three, four feet of me. I mean, uh, you know, if somebody walks even within my direction, I'll start backing off. Um so she sees all these things and I explain it to her as best I can and you know try and make sure that she's not scared and she knows that I'm just struggling and it takes time for it to settle you know and I use like um you know the I filled up a, a bottle um a juice bottle and I put a hole in the bottom and I said this is what it's like when I have a meltdown I says that you know, once it gets to this level, it takes time for it to reduce again. It's not going to go away straight away. You know, I need to settle and, and that's something that takes time and there's nothing I can do about that. It's just, I get myself in, in such an anxious state that, you know, you, you're literally changing your mindset from negative to positive. And, you know, everybody knows how hard that is at times. Um, but I think our minds can get into such a dark place that it just drops so quickly that not having that recovery time, not being able to know that my daughter understands that um, would probably cause a lot more anxiety, a lot more stress. And I think you have to be honest when it comes to something like that because, you know, meltdowns aren't a choice. Meltdowns are a mental overload. Um, something will happen that, and it's, uh, do you know, the funny thing is actually, it's often a lot to do with my ethics. There'll be something in the world which I completely disagree with, but it seems commonplace and it really bothers me. And that's usually what causes a meltdown because my brain can't reconcile that. It's when you see the world in a very binary way, you know, things are good or they're bad, you know, they're either just or they're unjust. and. This world seems very unjust at times. Um, and the thing is, I know now I don't even see all of it. You know, there's grey areas in the world that I'm completely unaware of because of the binary way that I view the world. It's just not the way I think. Um, and that's kind of scary too, because it means my daughter could be facing things in this world that I am completely unaware exists. Or not completely unaware. It's often a case of, I'm aware of it, but I think it's a much lesser problem than it actually is. Um, now that's often what the problem is. It's a realisation of, you know, how many people face this problem or how many people deal with this. I mean, the perfect example is, is the World Cup. 
you know, I got really upset because there was an um, advocate who had put up, oh, here we go, about the World Cup. And I had no idea what she was talking about. I didn't get that. That connection completely went over my head. And she knew that there was a you know racist, racism going to come from this, that there was going to be attacks and there was going to be all the things over our social media. And I just wasn't aware. I didn't think that was still so much of a problem nowadays, you know? And I think that's an issue when you spend your life in front of a TV and you're not having interactions and relationships and you're not finding out the realities of the world is that, you know, my daughter could face a lot of problems in these worlds and I don't know how to help her with the problem I may not even see coming, you know. Yeah, and that's always, I think, the fear of parent, of, a pe- of all parents, but I think... As, as the way you've described it and the way that your brain works, um, it, it sounds to me like it's something that's probably preys on autistic parents more because they see the world in the way they do. And, yeah. and like you say, it's those ethics being quite clear cut. Mm. Um, and, and I think the beautiful thing that you talked about there, though, was you were talking about using a juice bottle to explain to her how the pressure it works in your in your brain and and when you get to a meltdown. And that's such a great visual representation that a young child can understand, not just about what's happening in your brain, but what happens in her brain, because young children particularly they get very much sensory overload really quickly and um that can be something that can be quite we don't see it as sensory overload just like we don't in undiagnosed neurodivergent people Um, we see it as people having a temper we see it as as people being antisocial we see these things and we assign um kind of shame cultures around them when actually what we should be doing is well why is that person having a meltdown why is that person getting angry with me and more often than not there's a root cause and more often than not it's that build-up and quite often the thing that the the straw that breaks the camel's back is not normally the actual issue Mm -hmm. so quite like with toddlers you quite often see them having a tantrum in the shop it's not that they're in the shop that's the problem. It's maybe they haven't had a snack or they yeah. expected to be having some quality mummy time and instead they're being dragged around a shop or maybe they want to be touching mummy and instead they've been put in a trolley or maybe the opposite yeah. way around. You know, like, I think it's beautiful to be able to visualise that with your daughter mm-hmm. so that as she starts to understand her own brain and especially if you're exploring an ADHD diagnosis, um, it's it's something that she will have that um, understanding of way earlier than you 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 did. Uh, oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah and yeah. so you're you're giving her the tools to be able to make her own much more informed decisions at a very young age. Yeah. So I think I think that's beautiful. See, that's the thing. I mean, I've never. <sighs> I don't know if, if I'm putting this the right way, but I don't treat, really treat my daughter like she's a child. I mean, she's too switched on for a start. Um, when she was about two and a half, we were 
in fact, no, it was almost three, I think it was, but two and a half and three, whenever she was starting um, nursery school. It was literally like the, the third or fourth day of nursery school. So I was getting her ready and all that kind of stuff. And I said to her, you're going to have to tidy up the living room because with my back issues and all that, I'm using a walking stick, if I trip up over something, I could end up on the floor all day. You know, it, it, that is a reality for me because my back seizes and I literally can't get up again. Um, so I said, look, you're going to have to, and I said this to her about three times, you're going to have to tidy the living room before you go to school, you know? And she went, okay, right, fine, I'll go and tidy the living room if that will appease you. And I'm like, appease, what? And I had to think for a second, appease, appease, I know that word. And then it kind of dawned on me, and I'm thinking, where did you, how did you know that went in that second? What just happened, you know? <laughs> So yeah, I don't I don't speak down to her. You know, if she asks me for an explanation, I try and give her one as realistic as I can, and I don't lie to her. Um, lying feels very uncomfortable to me, so I just don't do it. Um, and the, the perfect example is when it came to Santa. You know, when she asked me is Santa real, and I was trying to think of a way where I didn't end up breaking her heart. You know, and what do I say to her when I want to be completely honest with her? Um, so I said to her that. The amazing thing with this world is that imagination and belief can make things real. You can go to Disneyland and go meet Mickey Mouse. You can go to, you know, the Wizarding World of Harry Potter and go and fly on a broomstick. Or, you know, if enough people believe in something that somebody's come up with, if, if enough people connect to it, then it becomes real. It becomes solid in this world. And I said, you've got to think about Santa Claus like that. And I said, the reason you know enough people believe in him is that he's everywhere. And that was that was a good enough explanation for her. She understood what I was trying to explain. I didn't lie to her. I didn't twist anything or, you know, hold back. I was completely honest with her, but in a way that I felt that I wasn't letting her down either, you know? Yeah. So what would your biggest tip be for parents who themselves are neurodivergent when they uh, are parenting? Like, what, what do you think you've drawn on the most to help support your parenting? I think, to be honest with you, the kind of thing... I mean, I've, I don't have a lot of... I've got... I've got friends... Um, Male friends are never going to be as close as female friends because of the bullying I went through at the hands of guys when I was younger. They just, men seem too dangerous to me. Just, yeah, I have very close female relationship, but I'm never going to have that with men. And I was talking to my friend one day about parenting and all the times that I beat myself up and she's the one that's saying, look, you know, it's everybody has these struggles it might be harder for you because you didn't expect to be in this situation you didn't expect to be a parent and things like that um so i think to be honest we would actually use her advice and that would be simply be kind to <laughs> sorry emotions again be kind to yourself because i think we end up beating ourselves up all the time over tiny little they might not even be mistakes they're probably very commonplace um, the one that actually got to me the most was allowing my daughter when she was about two and a half again, about the same time actually as the appeased moment, ironically. 
Um, <laughs> but yeah, she'd been watching Disney films and um, I'd been kind of trying to find ones that I thought she'd like. And she got really into Incredibles, loved Incredibles. So I was like, okay, well, we've watched Incredibles for like 11 times now. And I don't tend to mind that, but um, because I find quite comfort in repeating the same thing over and over again. But there was, I realise now there were sensory issues with the way that it's animated due to the, the boldness of the colours and stuff. So I was actually really struggling watching this over and over again. Um, and I, I had a look in the back and it said, you know, Jack, Jack Attacks, new animated short. I'm like, oh, brilliant. We'll show that one for her. You know, I'll let her watch that. Yeah, biggest mistake of my life. Within about two minutes of this starting, the baby turns into a ball of fire. And she thinks somebody set the baby on fire. She doesn't think the baby has powers. She doesn't think the baby is able to control this. She thinks that somebody set the baby on fire. And all she says is baby, fire, and then cries for three hours. And I was like, oh, what have I done? I've ruined her life. She's going to be speaking to a psychologist about this. I'm going to be tarnished as the worst parent in the world. What's going on, you know? And it was just because I simply didn't dawn on me. It didn't even, that connection didn't, you know, go through my head that she was going to see this character in that way. And, um, yeah, there are these moments where you're just kind of like, how did I end up in this situation? Like, seriously. Um, so I think being kind to yourself is really important because, especially with the way we see the world, I think that, we end up in situations that we're just completely unprepared for, and then we're trying to deal with it basically in crisis mode. Um, but one thing I will learn, uh, sorry, one thing I will say is I've learned is that that's probably when I shine the best is actually when I'm thrown into a situation and I have to think on my feet and I have to go, right, well, this is a situation we're in analyze everything quickly, try and find a solution, and let's get out of this, you know. Um, and ironically, that seems to be my MO. But if you'd asked me three, four years ago, I wouldn't have seen that. It's my friend that pointed that out to me, you know. it's. I, th I think it's sometimes important having that relationships as well, that you can talk about anything. You can say, look, you know, I'm having a really bad day. I'm feeling like I've awful parent today, I need help, I don't know what I'm doing, you know, um, and I have to admit, I don't, I don't say names out of respect, but my wife and my, my two female friends, they changed my life, because they gave me a chance to talk without assuming I was being rude or offensive, and actually gave me a chance to see me, and I don't think anybody had done that before, I don't think anybody had actually said, well, hold on a second, you know this way that I'm seeing him or this way he's coming across, I don't think that's actually who he is because what my friend said was there was a stark contrast Contrast that I was really understanding and compassionate and kind and then I would say something that would come across offensive and she said, you know, it's there was something there that just didn't make sense, you know. The person I knew you as wouldn't do that because if you knew it was offensive, you wouldn't want to say it. Um, and I think having that kind of relationship when you're autistic, and it is hard to get, I will be completely honest, because you often see these relationships on TV and you don't know how I get them, you know how you get them. Um, 
and I was really lucky in the fact that my friends basically realised that there's a load of invisible social lines that I've been tripping up over my life. And it was like somebody blindfolded me, you know, turned me around and pushed me into a minefield. It's, you know, you can't anticipate something you're unaware of. It's just not possible. Um, so having those relationships, having that really was predicated on them giving it to me before most people would. Um, what I mean by that is that they took down the walls, they allowed me to see who they were, they gave me an opportunity to understand how I would be viewed in certain situations, you know, and that's all I needed was information. All I needed was somebody else's perspective because when you don't have the opportunity to ask your parents what's going on and, you know, the problems you're facing when you can't communicate properly and you can't put these things across. You don't get support in finding out other perspectives. You don't get that kind of, you know, it's okay, this is what you're missing, it's fine, you know. Just this is what you have to think about. And the thing is, I am very considerate because my brain considers all the information available. I just need all the information. Um, so, yeah, be kind to yourself because you're going to find yourself in situations that you feel completely unprepared for, completely unexpected. Um, and it's just because we live in a world that wasn't designed for us as much as anything, you know? I think being kind to ourselves is one of the hardest things that humans yeah. can do anyway. Yeah. Um, regardless of the situation, but I think it's I think it's vitally important in a world that doesn't understand as us as people, um, and obviously from from your background of the, of the autistic community is one that that is becoming better understood over time. Um, yeah. But the, the sheer number of adults who are being diagnosed with various neurodivergencies is insane um, because the world didn't understand it when we were at school. Um, so unless you were... Well, the... do you know, actually, it's funny you said that um, because they didn't understand it when Einstein was in school either because he actually said that schooling was... The, the only thing that ever got in the way of his education was his schooling. So he saw that, you know, all that time ago. It, it, it's definitely one of the hardest things, isn't it? Is when you when you kind of realise you want to shout it from the rooftops. Um, so I, just I want to thank you very much for coming and chatting to me yeah. today. Um, can you just give us a rundown of how people can get hold of you? I will I will put um, your contact details in the show notes. So if you're listening, you can just go to the show notes so you don't have to scribble down with a piece of paper. So where can we find you? Um, the probably easiest place is if you go to my website, which is mylifeautistic.com, and there's a link tree at the top of the homepage, which has all my social media and that. I will say at the moment, the um, YouTube channel just has a couple of videos on it, gaming videos that I used as an um, example in one of my posts. So the, there isn't anything really on the, the channel at the moment, but I do have huge plans for that in the next year. So there will be content coming to that. It's just not available at this particular moment in time. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. And 
it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. Thank you. I really appreciate the time. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Ross is a fascinating guy and we actually talked quite a lot more than that. Um, but I have cut it down a bit just to make it more relevant to you guys. I would love to hear what you think and I'd love to hear your personal stories. So please do stay, let me know on Instagram what you have been up to this week. Next week, we have another fabulous guest for you, the lovely Carrie Olsen. Carrie is a parenting expert um, and I absolutely loved chatting to her. So please do check out next week's episode, which will be in your subscribed box because you've all subscribed by now to the podcast and it will be in there next Monday. So I look forward to hearing from you all. Don't forget to check out those show notes so you can give Ross a follow and support his his um, activism and give me a like, a follow and come and check out my events and then you'll know everything that's going on. Have a lovely week and I'll speak to you all next week.